Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Torah for the Earth audio essay. I'm your host, Charlie Forbes, and this week I will be addressing Parashat Ki Sisa, which is Hebrew for when you take. This is a reference to the census that Moshe is commanded to take. Every man fit to go to war is constructed to contribute half a shekel of silver for the construction and maintenance of the tabernacle. What's interesting about this parasha is that, again, it's not written in chronological order, nor does it present a continuous narrative. We begin with the census and a few additional furnishings for the tabernacle, such as the laver or basin in the tabernacle courtyard, oil used to anoint sacred objects, and the incense that is offered twice daily on the golden altar. Two artisans who are to build the tabernacle and its furnishings are also introduced, and the commandment to observe Shabbat is repeated to connect the divine aspects of time with the sacred notion of space. Then the tragic story of the golden calf is recounted, whereby we are told that, quote, Moshe had delayed in descending the mountain, end quote. This is chapter 32, verse 1. And the nation of Israel responded by moving into a frenzy of mass idol worship. This angers God, and Moshe pleads on behalf of his people, eventually descending from Sinai with two tablets of testimony. After seeing the calf and the people dancing around the idol, Moshe smashes the tablets that were engraved with the Ten Commandments, destroys the idol, and punishes those involved in the transgression. There are, of course, consequences for the worship of the golden calf and the relationship between God and his manifestation to the children of Israel are brought into question. In the final section of the parasha, God does restore the covenant with the nation and Moshe once more ascends Sinai to receive a second set of tablets. There, he pleads for forgiveness on behalf of his people and is granted a vision of the 13 attributes of mercy. When Moshe descends Sinai after being taught the entire Torah anew, we are told that the skin of his face had become radiant, and so he wears a veil, only removing it to speak with God and to teach the people. The sin of the golden calf was an egregious error that left a stain on the souls of those present and further diminished the state of spiritual prominence that had earlier been achieved. Kisisa is also translated as when you uplift or when you raise up because the half shekel donation to the tabernacle is considered an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. The literal meaning of the commandment is when you elevate the heads of the children of Israel, suggesting that, in addition to the census, the donation was an act that was designed to uplift or partially cleanse the contributor. This elevation is only made necessary after the sin of the golden calf, and so again, this is an instance that demonstrates the atemporality of Torah, but with this point aside, we have to ask, why was this donation, this portion given to Hashem in Hebrew Terumah, not included in Parashat Terumah, 
with all of the material contributions listed for the construction of the tabernacle. What's unique about the silver half shekels that are to become the sockets upon which the walls of the tabernacle rested? Well, there's one way to look at it, which is about how when an entire nation joins together in a singular cause, the status of the nation is uplifted. That's basic enough, and it's a nice way to think about it. A charitable act becomes the foundation upon which the tabernacle is built. Charity, then, becomes an essential building block for the atmosphere, the resting place, of God's presence. But the central focal point of Kisisa is the contrast and the tension between a material item designed to uplift the nation and a material item that denigrates the sacred and defiles the divine essence of materiality. With this other item, I am of course referencing the golden calf, a story and event that has long lived in the historical memory of every Jew. The point here is to emphasize the importance of the intention that sits behind the use of materiality. To my knowledge, there's nothing in the Torah that criticizes wealth or personal possessions that are used rightly. That's the one caveat. In fact, if we think back to Parashat Vaishlach and Jacob's retrieval of a few earthenware vessels, this was a situation where material objects had spiritual value. The right use of material wealth is also a premise to support the lavish vestments worn by the priests because those garments are not used for personal gratification or to wield some kind of social power over others. Materiality is not the problem. It's how it's used. The Midrash Tanchuma addresses this point and records that when Hashem spoke to Moshe about the half shekel, God showed him a coin of fire, which is meant to teach that money is like fire. It can either be beneficial or destructive, depending on how it's used. And this is exactly what's being presented in the contrast between the half shekel donation and the scene involving the golden calf. The whole story, essentially, between the time that Moshe descends from Mount Sinai to the giving of the half shekel is about the appropriate and the misappropriate ways that we express our desires for materiality. We have to remember that the Jews are constructing the tabernacle from the material wealth that was gathered off the back of slavery in Egypt. And, having come out of Egypt, which is the Torah's prime symbol of the gross misuse of material possessions, the Jews still had to shed themselves of their desire to worship, what we would call today, the commodity. Money, wealth, material property, material ownership. Even though Egyptian wealth was at times used for good, Feeding many, including the patriarchs, in times of famine, the Egyptian relationship to wealth obstructs the awareness that God is the predominant power in the world. Rebbe Natan of Breslov, to use as an example, sees Egypt as the heart of materialism, pervaded by a lust for money 
so intense it became idol worship. In this same respect, the symbolic theme behind the golden calf is that the material becomes one's God. The material becomes an end unto itself because it becomes the main objective. And it becomes the main objective because it enhances a particular type of power in the world of materiality. Through the acquisition and worship of things, a kind of control is achieved. The whole reason the world is in such an environmental mess is because we have tried to manipulate and subdue the earth and the forces of nature. Abraham Heschel writes, To gain control of the world of space, this is in reference to what is termed technical civilization, and I will add that materiality is a derivation of space, is certainly one of our tasks. The danger begins when in gaining power in the realm of space, we forfeit all aspirations in the realm of time. There is a realm of time when the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. This also explains why the commandment to observe Shabbat is repeated in this parasha. As Heschel says quite aptly, the power we attain in the world of space terminates abruptly at the borderline of time. But time is the heart of existence. The opposite of the story of the golden calf is where the Israelites give of their material wealth, and this is done with the purpose to create a material dwelling place for Hashem on earth. Through this act, the object of worship is not the material, but God himself. It's not that the material is rendered unimportant or irrelevant. The tabernacle is incredibly important but it's positioned in a way to transform materiality into something sacred, something higher, a material representation of God's power. In this way, the half shekel does not just represent the atonement of the people, it's also the re-sanctification of the material, an uncommodification of the material. Learning how to reinstate the grandeur of sacredness in the material is an important environmental message. It's about learning how to use materiality in an appropriate way and for an appropriate purpose. This is what building a sustainable and healthy world is all about. It's not about commodifying things and turning them into idols and gods. This is an empty kind of worship and a path that leads to nowhere. Materiality and the earth is here so that we can be co-creators with God and to create a dwelling place for that reality. Inherently, the material world is a sacred dwelling place for the divine. So our job is not to idolize and defile the material world. It's to maintain this home, this tabernacle we call earth, this tabernacle we call home. 
I'd like to leave you with a story, a piece of Midrash that is used a lot, but that I really love, and I'll paraphrase it quickly. It concerns Abraham and his father, Terach, who was a worshiper of idols. One time, Terach had to go away, and he left Abraham in charge of his store. A woman came in carrying a dish of flour and said to Abraham, This is for you. Can you offer it before the idols? And so Abraham went back into the shop and took a club in his hands and broke all of the idols and placed the club in the hands of the biggest idol. When his father returned and he witnessed all of the broken idols in the shop, he asked his son, Who did all of this? Abraham replied, I can't hide it from you. A woman came in carrying a dish of flour and told me to offer it before them. I did, and one of the biggest idols stood up and said, I will eat it first. And then another said, I will eat it first. The biggest one rose, took a club, and smashed the rest of them. Terach said, What do you think, you can trick me? What do you take me for, a fool? They can't do anything. They have no power. And Abraham said, Do your ears hear what your mouth is saying? Thank you all for listening. That's all for now, and I'll catch you next week. Thank you.